Welcome to No Rain Date, a community podcast about local news and people. No Rain Date is a production of Saucon Source LLC. For more local news and information, please visit SaucinSource.com. Hello, No Rain Date listeners, and welcome to another News Roundup. I'm Josh Popachak, the publisher of Saucon Source and the host of No Rain Date, here with the headlines for the week ending May 15th, 2021. It's been another busy week in news here in the Saucon Valley and Southern Lehigh areas, as well as Upper Bucks and beyond. We will start off with news from Upper Saucon. There was quite an eventful meeting of the Upper Saucon Board of Supervisors this past week. And that's not always the case. They've had some very brief meetings recently. However, a number of issues came up at the May 9th meeting, May 10th rather. A couple of them involved some pretty exciting developments in terms of commercial properties. One story that we shared relates to the promenade shops and a new restaurant that is going to be opening there. The name of the restaurant is GNS Bella Mia Brick Oven Pizza and Francesca's Italian Cuisine. The owner of this establishment actually signed a lease to rent a space across from the Carmike Cinemas more than a year ago. Obviously, COVID-19 began and plans to open it sometime in 2020 went awry. And here we are in May 2021, and the owner was before the Upper Saucon Board of Supervisors seeking their blessing, their recommendation that she be approved for what is known as an economic development liquor license. Essentially, an economic development liquor license is a special type of license the state of Pennsylvania devised for establishments that want to open and have a full bar in counties in which there are no more liquor license available. That's common in Pennsylvania because the number of licenses is determined by population. Our population in Pennsylvania is not growing. So if anything, the number of licenses would decline, if that's even possible. I'm not sure, but the metric is that there is one liquor license permitted for every 3,000 residents in a county. Lehigh County has approximately 370,000 residents, so do the math and that works out to be something like I think 130 liquor licenses, 125, something like that. At any rate, there were none available. The owner, Anna Maria Masiti, did attempt to purchase one on the open market, was unsuccessful, and that left her with no other alternative but to seek this license of last resort. Ultimately, it's up to the Pennsylvania Liquor Control Board to grant this type of license, and they are selective. They only grant two per county each year. That was the information shared at the Upper Saucon Supervisors meeting. So there's no guarantee that she will receive one. However, It obviously is a plus that the township is on board with that idea. It makes sense because 
There are numerous other establishments in the promenade shops that have bars and have liquor licenses. There's no restaurant exactly like the one she's proposing. Obviously, it would have a a custom-built brick pizza oven. That would sort of be the centerpiece. Inside, it's going to be a smaller restaurant with table seating for about 60 people and bar seating for about 15, she said. There will be some outside seating. It's going to be a atmosphere that is evocative of Italy, of course, and something like 24 or so different types of pizza are expected to be on the menu. I did not get a chance to see the menu, but I know a copy of it was circulated among the supervisors, and one of them quipped that he was he was wishing that as an exhibit for the hearing, there had been a sample of some of the food that was on it, so everybody had a chuckle when he said that. No timeline was given for possibly opening the restaurant. It will probably depend on when the PLCB decides the fate of this application, but it was certainly exciting news for everyone who follows business in the promenade shops. There is a high vacancy rate there. There have not been many openings in the past Going on two years, the last restaurant to open there was Pliables in 2019. Obviously, not much of anything happened in 2020 in terms of openings. There were closings, but due to the pandemic, most investors were too nervous to want to support opening a new establishment. There were a few, but certainly when you're opening a business in the promenade shops, additional capital is probably a requirement compared with some of the other locations you could be opening in around here. So we will continue to follow the story, of course, when GNS Bella Mia Brick Oven Pizza and Francesca's Italian Cuisine opens. We want to be there to celebrate the occasion and to let you know. We'll have photos of it. I'm sure it's going to be a lovely establishment and looking forward to that day when they cut the ribbon on it. The other big news in Upper Saugan Township was the announcement that the Greater Valley YMCA will build a new branch of the YMCA in Upper Saucon, specifically on Preston Lane and Center Valley. The director of the Greater Valley YMCA, David Fagerstrom, was at the meeting to pitch the concept for this big branch to the supervisors. And it's important to note that this branch has been in the planning stages for quite a few years, at least five years, according to the Facebook page for the Saucon Creek YMCA. That's what it's going to be known as. The Saucon Creek branch will be serving residents of the Saucon Valley, Southern Lehigh, and East Penn school districts. So geographically, Southern Lehigh is in the middle of that swath of the Southern Lehigh Valley, and Center Valley is literally in the center of Southern Lehigh. So I can understand from a geographic standpoint why the Preston Lane location makes sense. It's also in close proximity to other public amenities, including the Southern Lehigh Public Library, which is right next door. Upper Saucon Township Community Park is across the street. DeSales University is right down the road, and it's very close to 378 as well. So major routes are close at hand. 
the YMCA will be leasing approximately 10 acres from Upper Saucon Township. This new facility will house an indoor pool, various exercise and meeting rooms, childcare center. There's a long list of amenities that are going to be available there. Of course, many are health and fitness related because that's the YMCA's mission to help build healthier communities. Just because it was approved does not mean that it's going to be built starting tomorrow. There's still a lot of work to be done, and that was made clear through the presentation and a news release that went out from the Greater Valley YMCA. There will be a fundraising feasibility study now that will take some months to complete, and essentially that will verify that there is the likelihood that the necessary funding, 12 to $15 million dollars, specifically, can be raised. The fundraising is expected to take up to two years, and then construction is forecast to take another two years. So realistically, the timeline for opening it is probably sometime in 2026 or maybe 2027 at the latest. You know, things can happen in the next five years. Hopefully we don't have another pandemic, but look how much that delayed a lot of projects. So it's exciting though, and it's something to look forward to. Certainly if you live in the area, we'll be reporting on developments as they occur. I'm sure the Greater Valley YMCA is going to do a great job of getting out information. They really want the community to be involved in the process. And and that was clear to me from the presentation that the supervisors heard. And it's exciting. There hasn't been anything like this built in the area before, and I'm not sure when the last YMCA was built in the Lehigh Valley, but I don't believe it was within the last 10 or 15 years. So it's pretty big news for the area. In other development news out of Bethlehem, the Bethlehem Planning Commission met on Thursday and gave the green light for the construction of a Wawa on Route 412 near Commerce Center Boulevard. This is on the location of the former Chris's restaurant, which many Saucon Valley residents still talk of quite fondly. Chris's was a a diner and truck stop near Saucon Park, and it was there for many, many years. Generations ate there. It's been closed for probably about five or six years now, and there's a chain link fence all around it. So the property has sort of become a little blighted, and that's going to change. The approval is for a convenience store that's close to 6,000 square feet in size. There will be eight gas pumps under a canopy and 55 parking spaces. So picture your standard Wawa convenience store slash gas station, and it will probably look something like that. The location is obviously critical and why Wawa decided that they want to build in this location is because of the traffic. It's about midway between the 412 interchange at I-78 and the Wind Creek Casino in Bethlehem. So tens of thousands of vehicles pass by this intersection daily. It will be the closest Wawa to Hellertown when it opens. I know many Saucon Valley residents would like to see a Wawa or a Sheets in Hellertown or maybe in Lower Saucon. The amount of land needed to build a Wawa makes the possibility of one being built in Hellertown, I would say, somewhat unlikely. This parcel is almost two acres in size. 
and there are some parcels approaching that size at the north end of the borough, but Wawa certainly isn't going to build another mega store with gas pumps less than a mile down the road. That's not how they space their stores. And as far as at the south end of town, there would not seem to be any parcel that is not flood prone, as far as I know, that would fit the bill. However, the south end of Hellertown is getting a Starbucks with a drive through and somebody asked me what the status on that is. This was first proposed a couple years ago. There hasn't been much work happening on it. I haven't noticed anything lately. I did read a report not long ago in the morning call that stated that the Starbucks is estimated to be opening in September. So that's in about four months. We'll see. I know they did some work before, specifically inside, removing like the bank vault and and other things that were related to the Bank of America building. So perhaps they've done a lot of the preliminary work and they'll be able to come in and just sort of knock it out within a few months. But we'll be taking notice of that. And of course, once there is a firm timeline for opening it, we will report on that. In health news, we had some happy news to report out of St. Luke's. St. Luke's University Health Network is the recipient of a number of prestigious awards from IBM Watson Health. IBM Watson Health ranks healthcare facilities throughout the country every year. And the big news was that St. Luke's was ranked the number one major teaching hospital in the country. And so this is a big deal. CEO and President Richard Anderson was in attendance at a special reception that was held at the Bethlehem St. Luke's Hospital in Fountain Hill. And a number of other hospital administrators were also on hand to discuss how important this is and the work that the hospital has done to earn such an achievement. Of course, COVID-19 was also a topic of discussion. This happened Thursday, which was also the day that the CDC announced that fully vaccinated Americans can stop wearing masks inside if they so choose. So sort of perfect timing for a reception at which there were a number of people. Of course, people were wearing masks and were spaced out. However, they were told, you know, to feel free to remove their mask if they so chose. And everybody at the event was fully vaccinated. That was a request before it was even held. So it was nice to be there. It was a beautiful event. And St. Luke's received a number of other awards. Anderson Campus, Miners Memorial Hospital, and the Allentown Campus were all highly rated in this latest ranking by IBM Watson Health. So check out our story. We have a lot of photos from that reception as well. Summer is coming in Hellertown, and so are free concerts in Dimmick Park. The annual Music in the Park series is returning for 2021 after being canceled in 2020 due to COVID. The first concert will be held on Sunday, June 6th from 6 to 8 p.m. This is at the bandstand. There's a large grassy field right in front of the bandstand, so it's a perfect place to bring a folding chair, bring a blanket, and just relax. There will be food for sale from local food trucks. 
wine from Black River Farms Winery in Lower Saucon and craft beer from Lost Tavern Brewing in Hellertown. A total of four concerts are going to be held as part of this series throughout the summer. Uh, we have all the dates, the names of the bands, and the different food and beverage purveyors that are going to be there in our story. So I think you're going to want to check that out and probably put some of those dates on your calendar because these are, are fun shows. Country, rock, Craig Thatcher is going to be one of the performers. The Large Flowerheads are going to be there. They're always a big draw performing 60s and 70s pop and rock. So we'll probably have a photographer at least at at least one of the shows to get some fun photos of that. Those are the headlines for the week ending May 15, 2021. Have a great week. Here at Sock and Source, our mission is to provide information and make it as available as possible to the people in our community. A large part of that is a public service and we're grateful for the support we have from local advertisers because that revenue helps keep the information flowing to you, our readers and listeners. Local news production does cost money and that's why we've also introduced a voluntary membership option on Sock and Source and we'd like to tell you a little more about that. Essentially the membership is a recurring monthly contribution that shows your support for the work that we're doing. It helps guarantee that the information will remain free and accessible to you as well as to others in our community and it also helps fund our future growth. Sock and Source is growing and we're expanding our coverage area. The more support we receive from the community, the better coverage we can provide and the more useful the site will be to you. So that's why we would invite you to visit our membership page on the website sockandsource.com. You can do that by clicking on join under my sock and source, which you'll see on the right side of your screen if you're on a desktop or at the bottom of any article page. You'll see several membership options, including a monthly membership for $7, a four-month membership for $25, or a yearly membership for $70. These are strictly voluntary contribution levels, and they're not any part of a paywall. There's no requirement to contribute, but we are grateful for those who have already done so, and we hope that you will consider purchasing a membership in the future. Doing so is quick and easy. You can do it securely online, and you can cancel at any time. Thank you again to all our current members, and thank you for considering becoming a future member. I am thrilled this week to welcome our very special guest, somebody who is well known to the world of sports and and also those of us here in the Saucon Valley, four-time Olympian Joetta Clark Diggs. Thank you so much for, for being with us this week. Thank you for having me, Josh. I'm excited to be on the show. Didn't have to go far to get here, so that's what I'm <laughs> Thrilled to have you here. I've only sort of recently, you know, we've connected more recently, but over the years I've covered your daughter, Talitha, who graduated from Saucon Valley in 2019. 2020. 2020, yes. okay. Wow, it was only a year ago. <laughs> yes, a year. There's that COVID again that throws <laughs> yes. off my internal clock. <laughs> yes. But I want to talk, talk about her a little more later on. I want to start off with talking about you and how you got your start as a competitive athlete, going back to 
school days and what first motivated you to become involved in athletics? Well, sports was something that was introduced to me by my father and my mother, but my father is Dr. Joe Clark. He actually just passed in December of 2020, and so he was the subject of the movie Lean On Me. And when I was growing up, we did a lot of different activities, a lot of different sports. And for girls back in that time period, 60, 65, 66, 67, 68, during those, those years, there weren't that many sports for, for women. Title IX hadn't really come around yet. So I would run and I did ballet and basketball and tennis, but there was nothing really organized really for women at that time, for, for girls at that time. So running seemed to be the natural fit. He had to run distance. My father believed that by running distance, it worked on discipline and focus. And so he said, you're gonna run distance. We didn't have an option to talk back back then. <laughs> so luckily for me, distance was only two and three miles. So I kind of got through that. And so that's how it started. My brother is two years younger than me. And then at that time, I didn't have a sister, but I have one now that's 15 years younger. So she didn't come around until my senior year in high school, basically. Hmm. But at that time, my father had his run distance and saying that it would develop character. And his biggest thing was that if, as parents, if you direct your children and you put them in a, in a place and you help them, then they can do anything. So he said, you're gonna do distance, we're gonna do some training, we're gonna to go to meets and you're gonna run and you're gonna do well. So that's what kind of what happened. So I didn't have an option. He said, this is what you're gonna do. And that's what we did and I ran distance. I came down to middle distance eventually, but I ran distance in cross country since the age of, I would say about 11. Hmm. And you grew up in New Jersey. Yes. So this was, you were running just around your neighborhoods or around the neighborhoods at the local parks and on the streets and we just run and at the park and run at Wigway Park in Newark and then we went to South Thorn which was run on the streets do hill workouts and then I got part of a high school team when I was um, you know 14 mm-hmm. so that's when it came a little more organized but up until then it was with my brother and then there was some summer club things that we did parents would have us go to various AAU meets at that time is what they were called and we would run those age group meets. Did you ever participate in any any other sports like team sports or anything? Um, I did softball and tennis and paddle tennis. Oh okay. Platform tennis they call it. So I did those those were my sports but then when I got into high school I started doing all three seasons cross country and doing outdoor so then it overlapped with the other seasons and I was really good. And so I just stayed with, with cross country and doing outdoor track. Mm-hmm. So by the time you were in high school, you were kind of, yeah, you'd been doing it for a number of years already. Four or five years, five years at that time, by my senior year. So I left high school undefeated in New Jersey. I was the only athlete to win the sectionals groups and all groups four consecutive years in the same event. I had the state record. I ran 203 in high school, which was really fast time. And so uh, I had the state record, one of the best in the country. Then I got recruited to go to college, being the best half mile in the country to, to the University of Tennessee. Now, were you at the school your father was principal no, of? No, no. He was a principal in Patterson Eastside, oh, okay. Patterson, New Jersey. I went to school in South Orange, Maplewood School District. Gotcha. So that's about 40 minutes away, I guess. Oh, okay. So about that, 35, 40 minutes away. Two different districts. 
Right, right. So during this time, you're running and your dad is obviously a huge influence on you, yes. motivating you. Were the, was there anyone else who was sort of an inspiration, like either personally or like in the world of sports? Well, as a, as a kid, well, you, you know, your mother and father, my mother's Jetta, she also transitioned into in 2020 in March. So he was like the strict disciplinary mm-hmm. person, and my mother was kind of like the soothe over. The nurturer. Yeah, kind of like that. And then, so there were the two of them, and then I would watch other athletes, like Wilma Rudolph was a big, that I was a big fan of her. Of course, you heard of Jesse Owens, but they didn't run my events, so they would. But we were still aware of them and followed their careers. And then, when I got a little older, other athletes came into play: Mary Decker, Dave Waddle, people like that, Joan Benoit, Francis mm-hmm. LaRue, that era of athletes. And then I, I looked up to them. Show Tucson. I just kind of there weren't that many black distance runners from America. Most of the Distance runs that were black were from Africa, something. Like I, I heard you say that yeah. in, a, in a. So you didn't really have that many for role models. So then you look at Kip career and people like that that you would look at from other from Africa, but that was again more distance than what I was doing. I was a eight fifteen runner. That's a middle distance runner. Mm-hmm. So to find someone that looked like me at that time, especially a woman, you, you really didn't see that. When did the Olympics become a goal? Was that sort of always a goal, or? Well, I think as a kid, you hear about the Olympics, and so everyone wants to go to the Olympics. Are you the next woman boot off? Are you going to the Olympics? And I would say yes, not really knowing what it took to make the Olympic team, Mm -hmm. but I heard about the Olympics. So I think it became something that I thought I could really do in high school. So my senior year, I was 17, and I made the Olympic qualifying mark. So I went to the Olympic trials as a senior in high school, and I made the finals, and I took seventh. They only take top three, but I ran a personal record. We had to run three rounds, which is something I didn't do in high school, and at a very high level. So by the time I got to the third round, even though I ran a PR, I just was too young to run much faster than what I did that day. So it was bittersweet. It was sweet because I saw that I could do this eventually, Mm-hmm. And how good I really was, but not making the team, like, oh, man. But I wasn't devastated at that time. I was only 17. Right. Yeah, you have so your like, whole... Oh, you have more. Then that's, I think that's a problem. People, you know, you say you made four Olympic teams, and it's like, well, that is really rare because you have to stay. I was on top of the world for 16 years. Right. You know, so that's a long time to be at that level of competition. And so, you know, when people say, oh, it was four teams, and they go, well, it's harder than that because you don't take off, so you know, in between. You're still running, and I was blessed to be healthy. Right. So I ran for about 28 years or so at That's, a high level. I mean, right. I mean, to maintain that level of discipline for yes. that long. I enjoyed it. That, and that's part, I, I enjoyed it. The, the routine. And, the and, and you have to remember, too, I came about in, when the Eastern Bloc countries were there. So even though I was enjoying it, I wasn't making any money at that time. And I wasn't running fast enough to beat them because they were running so fast because of all the H- drugs and HGH and all the steroids. And it was just, I was just way out of my league. But I look at that now and go, wow. But when you're in the middle of it, you have to work through it because you're going to still run. They're going to do what they do. 
So you have to do the best that you can do. So that's kind of what I focused on. So when I went to college at the University of Tennessee, I ended up being like a 15-time All-American, 11-time NCAA champion, NCAA records. And at that time, I'm getting faster, but so are the rest of the world because the drugs are still there. Mm-hmm. So that's in 84. So now I'm at a college, it's like, what do you do? Well, in our sport, you know, everybody couldn't go pro. So I did get a contract from Nike, mm-hmm. which was really cool. And I, I, I did go pro. It's not the pro that these kids are doing now, but <laughs> the money and stuff wasn't the same. But because I liked it, I still hung in there. And I was running well enough to, to stay. I'm like, okay, let's keep doing this. So I, I stayed there and I, I did work and ran. And then, um, you know, in 1989, that was the big turn because the war came down in, in Germany, in mm. Berlin, right? Right. So now that's down in the Eastern Bloc country. All that shit shifted. So all of the drugs, all of that stuff just... They couldn't the get away with the doping anymore. Out the window. So now I'm able to, to run with these people over the next couple of years. And then, you know, the rest is, as we say, history. Wow. That's interesting because I never really connected that mm-hmm. with that impact on the world of sports. Yes, that was that era. So when the war came down in 89, so then you have 90, 91 to 92. I hung around, I started running really fast. Now I can run with the best in the world. They're running more like 156, 157, as opposed to 154s all the time. And now I'm running 158, Mm -hmm. so I'm closer. So now I'm getting contracts and sponsorship deals and then Eventually, that group goes away, so I'm still here. Right. So now I become one of the best in the world. Was there a, heat, a big difference then between like the '88 Olympics and the '92 Olympics yeah, because yes. of that? Absolutely, yeah. The time was is a big dif- difference in the time. Mm-hmm. And again, however, as in life, you have obstacles, and you know, even now, you still have incidents with enhanced with performing drugs and things. So it still goes on. But if you're going to compete and do anything in life, you know what you are aware of what other people are doing, but you have to stay focused on what you're doing to maximize your ability. And even though it may be discouraging, and it was at times, I enjoyed running. I enjoyed being clean. I enjoyed representing the country. So mm-hmm. I just kind of stayed in my lane and got better and better as I went on. And I've just been blessed to be healthy and not get injured and to be able to stay in the sport as long as I did. And it became something I, identif- I identified with as an athlete, as an Olympic athlete, as a USA Olympian. So those became things that I, that I was proud about doing. And again, I never really chased the money, but because it was out there and I knew it was there, I tried to put myself in the best position to, to be one people that, that would get, it, get to maximize that as well. It became a business for me. Right. Right, because mm-hmm. as long as you're competing in the Olympics, you you cannot take endorsements. Is that right? Or uh, it changed over the years. You can get sponsorship deals. It, it uh, we they were, used we to were be still stricter. Caught, we were still caught. We're not uh, track athletes are still amateur. Mm-hmm. Even though some of them are making millions, it's still amateur. But then it opened up. You remember in '92, we had the Dream Team come in. So mm-hmm. all of that, and then golfers and tennis players. So the amateur That's status right. of the Olympics kind of changed mm-hmm. so that it is okay to make money and be an Olympian. Right. 
Now, over the when you when you were in your first Olympics, you were really the only person from your family competing. Yes. But over the years, yes. you were joined by your sister yes. and your sister-in-law. Yes. So in 2000, the three of you were yes. running, and you finished one, two, three yes. in the qualifying. Right, at the Olympic trials. So because my sister is 15 years younger, I was 38. She was 23. Wow. That was my fourth team. That was her first team. So I was able to stay healthy enough, even though I had a car accident, we talked about that as well, to make the team. And then we were all coached by my brother. My brother married Gerald Miles, who became Clark. And in 2000, she had made three teams at, up to that point. So she made the team in the 400 meters that same year, and then came back a day or two later, and then had to do three rounds of the 800, and she made that team as well. So she qualified in the 800 and the 400, but you're right, we went one, two, three in the 800, and we were coached by my brother, JJ. And I think the proud moment I had was, not only did I come back from a major accident, car accident, my mother and father were alive to see right. us make that team together that year. And they were there in South Carolina to watch. My parents went to all of the Olympic trials. My mother went to all of the Olympic games. Hmm. My parents went to most of my track meets. I'm getting chills just thinking about what that must have been like yeah. for them. They must have been just bursting with pride. Like Bursting with pride after I made it. You, If you watch that video and you're audience can go to YouTube and type mm -hmm. in Joetta Clark or either Joetta Clark Diggs and then they look for the 2000, 2000 thank you 2000 <laughs> Olympic trials in the 800 and they'll see us go one two three but I outleaned the third person by a, a, a shoulder right so although it made history it could have gone the other way it made history where the two went and I stayed home <laughs> so uh, that would have been a bummer. <laughs> so they were happy to know that we both, we all made the the team together. Yeah, I was trying to picture myself in that in that position, like like you're competing against your family members, but at the same time you're kind of like a team almost. We were a team. We trained together too. So remember, it was Team Clark. So my sister had done well in college. She graduated at that time and. You know, I won some NCAA champions and some All-American titles and things like that. As you know, Gerald at that time had gotten two gold medals in the Olympics in the 4x4, four by, four by four, and she won the world championships in, I want to say, uh, 89, something like that, mm -hmm. 91, something like that. Everyone had their own accolades. But as I referenced before, in 1998, I had finished, I think, fourth or fifth in the world. That was my world rank rankings. And number one American. I had a car accident prior to going to Japan. So I went to Newark Airport to pick up my ticket and then my car was hit by a, a Mack truck and I was pinned oh up my God. against the shoulder of the medium at Newark Airport. And those of you who know the turnpike, there's a Budweiser building that yep. was there. So that's just where the accident was as I was trying to, to go into the airport. So I was bedridden from September to December not doing anything. Did you think this is it? I'm well, I kind of thought it could be it, but you know, I'm one of those people that, you know, you have to leave on your own volition and I was going to at least try and pray to God that that was what he wanted me to do, go try it again. So in 99 of December, I ran 
maybe two or three three hundreds. They weren't fast, but I ran them because I wasn't supposed to be able to run again. So I was like, okay, I can do this. So then it was a trying 1999 because I had to get back in shape, tell the body that we're going to fight through this. I'm still in pain. So we had to come back slowly. I had to run races and get beat by people I normally beat. But I had to teach the body that it's not going to be a jogging body. It's going to be a competitive body. So I had to get back into that mode of training and running. So mentally, I had to really dig in. And it was frustrating at times, knowing that the Olympic trials were the next year. And I didn't really see progress at all until maybe June, our USA Championships. And I took either second or third, maybe second. And I made the World Championship team. I'm like, okay, I can get ready this next year. Mm -hmm. So the next year, I just worked really hard. My brother was my coach. I got a team of people, doctors and therapists, to kind of work with me. And I was older. I was 37 at that time. And so I had to really treat the body differently. Some of the workouts that I used to be able to do, I couldn't do anymore. So I had to figure this out differently with the new body, the new car accident, and just knowing that if I'm going to put the effort in, then my mindset is make the Olympic team. Mm-hmm. That's the, it's not go to the Olympic trial to say hi, do a farewell tour <laughs> and wave. It was to make the Olympic team. Right. And then with my family. And I was definitely the weakest, weakest link. My sister said she was the weakest link. That couldn't be true because she was running phenomenally in college. My sister-in-law was still running phenomenally. They didn't have any injuries. So I was the weakest link by far. But you had kind of paved the way for them. Too. I may have paved the way for them. And I may have been strong being like encouraging them. But I, I know what work needs to be done, which I wasn't doing. Every now and again, I could do them. Mm-hmm. But the body, because of the athlete, just let me wouldn't let me do it as often as I needed to. But in life, your mind is really key. And I have a strong mind. So even though there were times when I was kind of talking myself out of stuff, I had to talk myself in, into it, into making the Olympic team, into going after these sponsorships, into still keeping my, my business that just started, keeping mm-hmm. my business going. So because I'm at the end of my career now. So all of these things were going through my mind. And I always say you can doubt anybody you want, but never doubt yourself. And don't count yourself out. Count yourself in. So for that year, I was counting myself in, even though when I kept a journal through all the years, I would go back and go, man, I didn't do that, didn't do that. So I have to stop that because that's like the new normal. With the pandemic now, they're new normals. By us or me going back to my journal, looking at what I used to do, that's not going to help me now because it only will get, get me frustrated because I can't, I'm not able to do it as easily. So what I did was I created a new normal for the new body. My coach, who my brother JJ, created new workouts for me with the injuries, and we got through it. When you talk about a journal, this was times and... Yeah, a track and field journal that athletes keep and even people keep. I guess now they would call it journaling. Mm-hmm. Back then it was just a track and field you just wrote the weather, how you felt, what you did, what you ate, the workout, mm-hmm. how much you weighed, your body fat, depending on you know those right. details. Right. And then uh, your race performances and what you were thinking it was a journal. And that's I guess that was before journaling came about. But people kept journal diaries. 
of running Diaries of Life. It was a track and field diary. 2000, you were actually one of the oldest then yes. at that point yes. ever yeah. to qualify, right? right? Yes. And that's to this day. Yes, yes. I think it was 38. Like, I was 38, and yeah. So now we have some older athletes. I don't know if any, Justin Gatlin is an older athlete, but he's sprinting. Mm-hmm. For my event, to find someone my age, 38, making a team, is rare, especially in this when you have to have trials. Some countries, they just select you. Mm-hmm. So you may be 37, 36, and they just select you because there's no one else. Right, smaller countries. Yeah. Yeah. But if you have to go through a trial season, you know, it's tough to do that at that age. At any age, but definitely older. So then basically after that Olympics, it was, that was... Yeah, after the Olympics, I was excited. I didn't, I didn't run well. I got to the second round, semifinals, got knocked out, knocked out in the semifinals. And I was sad, but I was like, it was done. I was enough. Right. And uh, I was pleased that I was the team, women's team captain for the USA. That's special. My performance wasn't good, but I was tired. And I just got, it was a lot mentally... To get there, I mean, I, I may have could have done a little bit better, but I, I just had, had it was that was it. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to do a tour. Or go, you know, I'm like, I'm not training anymore. I can't just go out there and run two or four, two or five, just to see them. I rather just go and be introduced, as opposed to being in a race running and not running up the park. Plus, you have to train, and I was just done training. I didn't want to train it at that at that level anymore, because it was just. I had to do too many precautionary things with, with treatment and stuff like that because I ripped my obliques in the car after then I hurt my neck. Mm-hmm. So it was just too much pre and post conditioning that was different than a basic massage and ice tank that we used back then. It was deeper things, you know, that you had to get done. What has running been like for you in the 20 years since then? I don't really run that much. I've done some local runs. I've, I've, the VF stuff and I've, I won my, my age a couple of times and I've done some small road races races for causes mm-hmm. I think for, for running you may see me around jogging every now and again but I, I don't really do that much running right now I have a business called Joe Time Fitness and what we do with Joe Time Fitness is that it's a fitness app and then what we're doing is we're just trying to help people who have 15 or 20 minutes to do a workout it's mm-hmm. not about an hour at the gym. It's about something you could do at home. We say at Joe Time Fitness, we meet you where you are. So wherever you are, you can do these these workouts, be it cardio, rope, whatever they are, you can do those those workouts at home in the morning prior to going to work. That energizes you, starts you up with your day, and you don't have any, any excuses. It's 15, 20 minutes, and everyone has that. You have to put yourself first as an athlete, as a person, as a businesswoman that I am, you have to put your, yourself first. And in doing that, your health is so important. So I think now, if COVID-19 didn't do anything, it should have inspired and encouraged people to take care of themselves. Not saying that if you're healthy, things can happen to you, but the recovery, the road to recovery may be better. And in order to, to live a lasting, long viable life when you're in your 60s, 70s, and 80s, you're going to put the work in now and maintain it as you get older. Mm -hmm. I'm 59 now, so I'm still doing things that some of the kids can't do. I'm still flexible because I stretch. I was Mm -hmm. a dancer. I danced with the Avenelli Dance Company when I was younger, the junior company in New York, so I would travel to do do that. So 
I'm still really flexible and I believe in just maintaining your body form for yourself. Everybody has body structures, however they are, but try to be the best you can be. You can't compare yourself to me and I'm not comparing myself to you, but everyone has an optimal thing for their, for themselves and I think in life that's what you should try and do, be the best you can do in sports, in life, as a parent, as a spouse, you know, as an employee or as, or as a business owner. Try to be the best you can be and you lead by example. If I download the Joe Time app, I'm not going to make the Olympic team no. this year. <laughs> no, you won't do that, but you will be the champion of your life. You'll be the champion of your life, which is important. So that's, that's what we talk about, being the champion of your life. And I think throughout my life, that's what I speak to. I'm a motivational speaker, so I do a lot of corporate events, a lot of empowerment events, team leadership, team building events. And even though we're doing a lot of that by Zoom now, pretty soon I'll be back in to the corporations. Most corporations and colleges reach me and we do a lot of virtual events, virtual platforms, and they work fine. But it's nothing like having audiences that you can see and talk to them and get feedback and do your skits with them and uh-huh. your team building activities that you do. So those are very helpful. So I still do a lot of my speaking. I have my Joe Time Fitness, which is something that I do with my partner and it's exciting. So I can't wait for it to be launched in July. We have our routines and everything together. We're going to go to the studio and start shooting. So I'm excited about that. And again, at Joe Time Fitness, we believe in you know, six to success. So it's all, it's about the core, it's cardio, it's abs, legs, arms, and glutes. And so you can click on whatever you want. If you want to do all of it in the session, you can do that as well. So I think that because of my background in sports, that this was a natural thing for me to do. Besides the motivational speaking, the book, the podcast, and then the body it all came from sports. I'm like, be the champion of yourself. And people would always say, man, if I could just be you. Like, you know, it can't be me, but you can have a piece of me if I have a product. So the product was my body splash, my lotion, and my perfume. And so you can't be Joetta, but you can have a piece of Joetta. So when you put it on, it invigorates you to be the champion that you are. So that's what everything focuses on, that I do, focuses on helping people to maximize their skill sets, and then to be that champion of their lives. What about, I'm curious about, like, nutrition mm-hmm. and, like, what your approach is to it, and, and do you ever advise other people about that? Have you ever thought about launching a line of yeah. power bars? Yeah, I haven't thought about that, but that would be a great collaboration. I would be a spokesperson for that because I do believe in, in energy foods and proper products, but I have not developed that product. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, if, if I was approached or some, wanted to partner with someone on that, I would definitely think that a nutritional bar, a healthy bar is important. Nutrition is very important. And I, I think early on, my mother just cooked healthy foods and we ate with the family at dinner and things like that, vegetables and fruits and greens. And we ate healthy foods, not much junk at all. We used to call Ritz crackers cookies. Hmm. So when people would come over, they go, want some cookies? They're like, we were, we're the Oreos. We don't want a Ritz cracker. <laughs> but we love them. And, you know, you put the, some jelly on the Ritz cracker, peanut butter on the Ritz cracker back then. We didn't have the Ritz cracker sandwiches that they have now. We made our own. So, my, you know, my mother made sure we ate healthy meals. And 
over the years you start taking vitamins and things like that and you had a nutritionist on board to watch your numbers to mm -hmm. know your iron and things like that because you got it became a business right. so now we're monitoring those those factors in the body so no I don't have a nutrition line but I'll be excited to do mm -hmm. but I think that everything is in time and the stages so what I'm doing now post-track is exciting but it's also exciting for me to stay grounded because my daughter Talitha is still running I still have my camps that I've done since 20 years yeah. I want to so, talk yeah. about about the camp sure yeah you, like you said 20 years you've had a camp for track and field yes for a kids 7 to 18 yes. and this year it's going to be hosted at Saucon Valley yes which is super exciting we had a story about that on Saucon Source about a week ago tell us about why it's so important to you to give back mm -hmm. and and what the kids are getting out of this well I have a foundation called the Joetta Clark Dick Sports Foundation and the foundation was founded 20 years ago now and the basis of the foundation was to introduce nutrition, bullying, sports, and sports careers to kids head start pre-K and high school through and up. So with that, the track and field camp started because I said, well, I'm not running, so let's have a camp. And so we did a one-day camp, and we had like 120 kids for one day. Hmm. So then we did a three-day camp, same amount of kids. So then we did a five-day camp. So the third year of my camp was a five-day camp, and they were all done in New Jersey. And then we got various sponsors, Johnson Johnson, Horizon, Panasonic, to sponsor the camp, the city of Newark, to make it affordable, and even in some cases free. Mm -hmm. So over the years, I worked hard to get sponsors, and, I, and my foundations will match it, so that we can have a camp that's affordable. And it doesn't matter where you live, it's just, this is the price of the camp. So when we do a camp this July 6th, 7th, 8th, and 9th. So it's only Tuesday through Friday. The last five years or so, we made it a four-day camp down from five days because a lot of times in the summer, people are traveling. So that happens to be July 4th weekend. Mm -hmm. So no one's coming home on the 5th. So why don't even do it the 5th? Right. And then do it on Tuesday. So we do our camps Tuesday. Sometimes, most of them are Monday through Thursday. But with July 4th, we did a Tuesday through Friday. And Bob Fry, the AD over at Sarkin, I approached him. He said, sure. And so we got everything in play. All of our camps obviously have insurance. Our staff have all now been vaccinated, so that's good. We have all level two certified staff. All of our coaches have been certified and also have been fingerprinted. So mm -hmm. that's good to have. So we're just moving in a positive direction. I said, well, let's do a camp here. I see a lot of kids running and jogging. Let's try it. So, so far, so good with our response. We're only going to take about 75 kids this time. So if you are interested in being part of the camp, you can visit the website, which is um, joettasportsandbeyond.com, or just Google my name, Joetta Clark, Joetta Clark Diggs, and it comes up. And then the camp is... 8.30 to 3 o'clock, Tuesday through Friday. We provide snacks, but no lunch. The camp is a grassroots camp, but sometimes we have a lot of amazing campers to come that can really have been really running. And our camp prides ourselves on the type of people that have come through it and, and gone on to be Olympians and, and world championships and champions and 
NCAA, All-Americans, we have that tier. And then we have kids that come back saying, I remember your quotes that you used to give us because we have a, we do we have homework assignments for our kids because we have special guests every lunchtime, mm-hmm. and so usually it's an Olympian that surprise guest that comes in. So we're going to do the same thing for this camp. And it I think Salkin's horse is going to drop by for the, <laughs> sure, <laughs> the surprise guest. Come on down for every lunchtime. We have the surprise guest. Well, the surprise guest comes all day. Oh, okay. But at lunchtime they they speak. And then the kids do the homework assignment on the next guest. Oh, so wow. That's, so, they, so they know who's coming the next day. That's a great way to keep them engaged. Yes, keep them it. engaged, yes. And the kids will come from all over the, the Lehigh Valley area. Again, if they And it's different skill levels, right? Different skill levels. So, so you're matched based upon your skill level, not particularly age, because if someone 12 or 13 could have the talent of someone is 14, 15. So it's, it's skill-based. And if they've never done sports before, one thing about our camp that we always have done from the beginning, we introduce the different events in the sport. So my father said you're running distance, but I might have been a good long jumper, but I never would have tried it because I wasn't allowed to do that. Mm -hmm. So at this camp, you can float to whatever event that you want. The coaches will say, hey, we think this will be best, but if you don't want to do this, you can do this. So we kind of rotate them that, and by the second day, they kind of know what they want to do, and then they, if there's two events they want to do, sprints and hurdles, they go between those events. If it's long jump and high jump, or long jump and hurdles, they go between those events. Sounds like a, a fantastic event, and and so so important. I mean, just to have things like that for kids. I mean, especially when you look at like childhood obesity levels. Yes. Yes. Unbelievable today, yes. and anything that gets them moving is gonna yes. is gonna be a positive. Gives them moving, but gives them structure. I think my camp is different. It's not about just moving. It's about providing a structure for them to have fun, to be safe, and to learn, and then to take that home with them in the summer, then use it throughout the rest of the school year. So you know, you can stay home and get moving realistically, but to get moving with other kids in a structured environment that's safe. And inviting that is what separates our camp and then to have me there I go to all of my camps I'm there every single day even when my mother was sick and doing her cancer treatments I would go every day I would bring her she would stay in the hotel room and I have someone watch her so I'm there at my camp and I think for me it brings me joy to meet my campers and then now to see them come back mm-hmm. and say what we did because they come back as junior counselors now, some of my older ones come back and they volunteer as a junior counselor. Oh, that's cool. And so it's really cool to see that they want to be part of, of the camp and the kids see them go, wow, you were a camper too. Talitha should be back here to be part of the camp as a junior counselor. Oh, wow. Um, she's been a junior counselor for the last two or three years now. So she, she comes back. So that'd be fun. So do you get to go down to Florida yeah. to see her much or... Well, I do. My father lived in, in Florida, so as he was going through his transitioning period, I would go there all the time. And so I go, the indoor season, there were no spectators. Mm-hmm. Outdoor season, there's some. So I go have been to all of her meets so far, the ones that I can go to. Unfortunately, the NCAAs and the Olympic trials right now, because they're in Oregon, mm-hmm. they're, they're closed. 
So as far as spectators are concerned, very limited with the athletes, the coaching staff, the volunteers, it's really tight. So I have to decide how I'm going to do that. But the SEC meet and those meets, I, I, I will attend those meets and support her. And it's really good to see her grow from Sarkin and to take Sarkin with her. She loves the area. She's really a big Sarkin fan. She misses the community. So she always says, I'm representing the 484 to 610. So she's really excited to be from a smaller town, but being on a big stage and being able to do well in school, well in sports, and then bring pride to her community. That's what she always wants to do and talks about, even at graduation when she did a, the graduation speech. Mm -hmm. She talked about that connection of the community. So she really considers Hellertown her home yes. at this point. Yes. That's awesome. Definitely. She's not, I'm Jersey girl. She says, <laughs> it's a saying she does. Jersey raised me, but Saucon Valley made me, is what she says. Oh, wow. That's I like saying. that. She said we were there when she was like six or seven. Then we came here. So that's her quote. I hope to hear her say that on the Olympic podium yeah, someday. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> that'd be great. If you have her on your show, I'm sure she'll say that as well. Oh, we'd love to have her yeah. on sometime. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about your book mm -hmm. that, that you published? Sure. I published a book back in 2009, might be now. And the purpose of the book was to talk about the joy, the P principles of life, life lessons learned through track and field. So basically the book is a book that's a study guide because at the end of each chapter there are questions. And corporations use the book for team leadership. Colleges use the book for the freshman experience. And so that's how the book is used now. When I do a lot of my speaking events, they buy the books for giveaways for the, for the audience. So I haven't made a second book, but the first book, the P's are still relevant. So the first P is what is your purpose? And this is not just track, this is life. I'm one of those people that believe that sports brings us together and sports gave me a platform to make a difference. So by me being able to empower people through my experiences through track and field and business, that makes me excited, that makes me happy. So the P's are part of my platform that resonate in everyone's life. So what is your purpose? And then how do you prepare? And then you have to get be patient. And then you have to get perturbed. I like that one. But <laughs> there's a point where you have to say, you know what? I am just perturbed. I'm, I'm pissed off. I gotta be. I have to be proactive and get moving now. I often say there's a time in life where you have to go from zero zero to a hundred. What's the rest of that? You know the rest of that? Real quick. Real quick. There you go. <laughs> so zero to a hundred, real quick. And that's when you're perturbed. And then you you persevere. And then I put a sixth one in over the years, and that's pray. So mm -hmm. those are my those are my P's. And when I do corporate events, I elaborate on those topic areas, and then I bring it back home, based upon what the groups want. Same thing with colleges and teams and in graduation. So the book is used primarily to talk about the P's, and as a study guide and a giveaway for for people. And the book could be found on my website as well and speaking of P's podcast yes podcast <laughs> I have a podcast and the podcast is uh, being sponsored again by Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey and we'll go on the podcast the first one is going to probably be, be after you have the show but the second one it'll be every week starting 
May 5th, so May 5th, 12th, 19th, and so forth and so on. And the first four series, we're talking about the pandemic hmm. and pressures of the pandemic. And we have various guests on the show talking about different things. Wes Morris from Sarkin Valley Massage would be one of our guests. And, and he's talking about stress and anxiety. So you'll be able to go to my website to hear those comments about that show. And then we have someone else. So there are different topics that COVID-19 and the pandemic made us aware of and that Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield is very focused on community, families, kids, and also mental and physical health. And that's right in your wheelhouse too. So yeah, that's that there. makes a, a lot of sense. Yes. And I know Wes has been, he's such an inspiring person himself yes. and also he knows Talitha, mm-hmm. I know, and, and, and so he I'm... Worked well with, he worked with Talitha often, like regularly. He was her go-to to person massage-wise, mm-hmm. but also like a mentor, giving her little tidbits and speeches and motivational quotes because, as you know, it doesn't listen to mom. <laughs> Four-time Olympian, doesn't matter. It's motivational speaker for over 25 years. You're still years. mom. Still mom, <laughs> and sometimes, uh, well, most of the time, more other people know more than I do. Mm-hmm. So for her, mommy doesn't know anything. They do. So it, it, I'm okay with that at times, and I make sure that, that I surround her with people with like minds, like minds. So she's still getting their information, but is in line with what I think that she needs to have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does she like get advice from like her her aunt or like? I think like from time to time they talk about stuff. The two aunts of her uh, uncle. Uh, I think that in sports and track and field though, she goes to her, her godfather who coached her mm-hmm. all the time, Tyrone. And then my brother Jay. I don't know if he really gives a. He's a coach too. Over he's at Stanford now. Doesn't really give her tidbits. I think her auntie Peachy may give her more tidbits and. And Auntie Jerl, I don't really think she says much about track to her. She may say good job, but as far as going over X's and O's, I don't think so. They probably do more with just having, you know, good luck, stay focused type thing. Mm-hmm. But I think Auntie Peachy goes more into details as to what she's going to experience and what not to do and what to do. Mm-hmm. I think she does that. None of us really give her race strategy. You know, her aunts, they don't really give us race strategy. That would come from a college coach and maybe a and high school coach more more than me. I just tell the to be in shape, you know, stick close, that type of thing. Believe in yourself. You know, you can do it. You're you're really you know, you're you know, be who you're meant to be. Don't worry about anyone else's lane. If you've done the hard work, if you put the work in, no one's gonna beat you. That from I gave her that more that that tidbit. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't call up and say, Hey, tell your coach to give you this workout. I didn't do that in high school and I definitely don't do it now. I was called the implementer in high school, so I was the one that got the equipment, that made sure she was in the meets, that made sure that we were had our hotels and the car rental and the plane flights. That mm-hmm. was my job. The implementer. Implementer, yes. That sounds intimidating. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I guess it is, but that's what I... That, so when we went to a meet, they knew everything was the way it was supposed to be. I wanted to go back a little bit and talk about your dad a little bit more because, sure. I mean, like you said, he was this famous educator yes. and he became famous for his tough love approach to discipline in the high school where he was 
he was at Eastside High School in Patterson, New Jersey. Right. He was featured in Time Magazine, yes. and then that led to the movie yes. Lean on Me. Yes. What was that like during that time period? Was that like... I was away. I was in college when that whole thing was happening. My sister was home. She was little. So she was around all of that. And it was amazing. And he really enjoyed... He enjoyed his job. He enjoyed supporting the kids. And he was in a, a rough neighborhood. We didn't grow up there. But his district was really tough. And he just wanted the kids to have an equal opportunity as far as the basic doors. Then when the doors were open, you could, anyone could just come in. So that's why he changed the doors. He wanted them to have alternative programs like we do a sock. And if you're not on the mainstream education system, you go through alternative schools and you learn a skill. Well, they didn't have that. So he was just trying to provide different opportunities for these kids to be successful. And so they loved him. The parents may not have. The board, board did not because he was orthodox with his way of running the building, but you had to first make it safe, and then once it's safe, you can start changing the mindsets of the teachers to educate the kids who they most of the time thought that were not able to succeed. So his first graduation class, they have done some amazing things, lawyers and doctors and construction companies they own, just doing amazing things, and it all started when he got there, that was his first class, those first four years. He was really excited about those students that came through under him from his first year into their fourth year in. And then the movie came. The movie was a real life. It was, it was him. If you Google Joe Clark and you see some of the characters that were in his real life, you see them in the movie. The lady that was always causing problems and havoc in the movie was a real life live person you see on YouTube. The boys that were singing in the bathroom, they were a real live group. The sand, you know, the, the real live guy. I, I forgot his name, but those were real experiences. And Morgan Freeman, as he said, didn't do him just, but <laughs> I think he did. He did a great job. And actually, he should have won an award for that movie. He, he was so on at the time. Mm -hmm. And it's being played over and over again now. I mean, I come across some people who said they've never seen it that are in our age group. But I'm like, how was that possible? Some of the younger people may not have seen it, but the older people definitely have seen it. So I say, if you haven't seen it and you're in my age group, you need to go back and look at it because it's an amazing movie. Well, and it's a movie with a message that still resonates but today. He was ahead of his time. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of the schools, even schools in the fluent areas now have police officers in them. I don't know what they want to call it, call them a different name, but still have that in, in, in the school. You have the dogs in the schools in some of the affluent areas. You still have the metal detectors in schools. So, and in light of the shootings and the bullying and just all of that, I think he was ahead of his time because he had a no-nonsense policy. And his school was black, some white, and Hispanic. And so, you know, no-nonsense, you didn't pick on anybody, rich or poor, it doesn't matter. We're all one, and we could all learn. And so I think when this grades and test scores started going up, the pride of the school, the building of the kids, that changed. And my father was really good at getting the best out of the kids, his kids, the students, and the staff. He had high expectations, and I get that from him and my mother. My mother had a business in the city of Newark before the riots came in 1967. 
And so it was a level of excellence that was always expected. And then when you carry yourself that way, it encourages other people to do that and be that best person. So he lived by example. And what he did for those kids, he did the same thing for us. No nonsense, you're gonna go to school, you're gonna graduate. College is not an option. Our parents believed in that. You know, you're smart, you could be athletic, you could be smart, you could be attractive or pretty. My brother was handsome because he was a guy that was attractive, but they're pretty with <laughs> the girls. You could do all of that, but you have to have a character for that. So they developed character and we developed something that, you know, we didn't look down on people. You know, no matter what we had or what someone else didn't have or whatever, we didn't do that. And so they believed that, you know, you're a hero today and a bum tomorrow. Don't burn those bridges. Just because someone doesn't have what you have or going where you're going doesn't mean they can't get there. So that's how we were raised, and that's how Talitha's been raised as well. And I think that the kids at Patterson Eastside were thankful for having him there. On May 20th, they had given him the key to the city of Patterson, New Jersey. So we're going to go back up for that. My father's transition was difficult because he was so famous. We didn't know how famous he was, how how loved he was all over the world. Not only... Mm -hmm in Patterson in New Jersey but all over the world we got so many letters and emails and Facebooks it was just overwhelming from all of the kids the relatives it was a lot you just forget that and then to see everything played again on TV for that time period it was it was it was difficult but he left a mark and the goal is to have the legacy continue through us and through his granddaughter Talitha yes Actually, he has three grandkids. My parents have, they have Talitha, who's the oldest, Jarrell, who's 14, and then the baby, who's three. We call the baby Peachy, baby Hazel. My sister's name is Hazel, so it's baby Hazel, little Hazel. She doesn't have her own nickname. She has her mother's nickname, <laughs> so it's funny that she's she has a, a nickname after her mother. It's Yeah, it's just an incredible story, and, and I think, I mean, I think I read that Maybe this was over the course of his entire career, but like something like 300 students were expelled from yeah. that school, he which sounds amazing. But it was a big school, but it was amazing. But it was it was disheartening in that it had to happen. The kids again were way they they were seniors, but only had sophomore credit. You know, there was a lot of stuff like that. But he eventually got the alternative program for that student, mm-hmm. and so. He believed a man in earnest can't be concerned with consequences. So he had a goal, he had a purpose, and he couldn't be concerned with the consequences. He knew what had to happen in that district. And quite frankly, I think if he was in education now, the way schools are in a lot of these districts, he would probably do some of the same antics, even though the parents would may not, or the board may not approve of it, he will have done it for that district. So for that time, for that era, for that district, that is what was needed. And I think in a lot of these other districts, you need someone that is strong, that is forceful, that is compassionate, but no nonsense. You're going to go to school. You're going to be kind. You're not going to bully people. You're going to learn. You're going to graduate. And you're going to aspire to other higher heights, be it college, alternative schools, be it whatever it is. There's something better for you to do. And he... And the staff that he had working for him was going to make sure that these kids got that. 
Well, I mean, it makes sense because if you think about it, just one student who doesn't want to be there in a classroom can drag that whole class down. Yes. So if you remove that student, it creates an environment in which the other students can succeed. But you can't remove them unless they don't have... He removed the kids that were like 20 and 19 and 20 right. still in high school with sophomore <laughs> credits. That's a distraction. Absolutely. That kid has to go to an alternative school. They have to have some other options which they ended up getting. You can't have someone 21, 22 that's sophomore credits in high school. Right. So what skill sets can they develop in an alternative school? And that is the piece that was missing, mm-hmm. but they ended up getting it at, at that school. So the, you, you have that a lot of, uh, Sarkin has that, that program already. I'm sure Liberty and Freedom in those schools have that alternative school as well. Right. Now, it's definitely a different environment today with education. I, administrators are under a lot more scrutiny yeah. and pressure from parents. Right. And um, But he would hold the, he held himself accountable for us. So he would hold the parents accountable mm-hmm. as well. And I think that when you have strong parent support, it holds the teachers accountable, it holds the board accountable, and ultimately it helps the kids. Yeah. And so... If you fast forward to 2021, my father, my mother, they're who they are. Their character is is who they are. But they would try and make it work within the new world, the new system. Mm -hmm. So would he carry a bullhorn and baseball bat? Probably, because (laughs) that's who he is. Would he be stern with the board and the superintendent of schools? Probably, that's who he is. Would he expel all the kids out at once? Probably, but the, what he would, would have to do now is he would have to be aware of social media and all that, you know, it's different. Which twists twist things around right. to and create a different narrative. narrative. But my father believed in, and you know, I believe is as long as they're talking about it, that talking about you, that's good, <laughs> and it provides a platform for you now to go on and tell the real truth. So that's how he would look at that. And everybody's not cut out like that. I mean, I take a lot of his after him a lot, and then I have some of my mother as well, kind of a combination of both of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I do think it's important in business and in the community to make sure that you're making a difference, but you have to be that difference. So if you hear me talking like this, you're not gonna see me out there doing something the opposite. Right. I'm gonna be consistent about what I'm doing. I want to be a, a kind person, a person that knows that there's a God and a high, higher power, but a person that wants to give back and see people transform and to empower people to be the best that you can be. It's not about being the best Joetta or Josh. It's about being the best you. Mm-hmm. And if you can do that, then you'll leave a legacy for your family, you'll make a difference in the world, and you'll make this place a better place. A place where everybody can get get along together. And I go back to my camp. The camp is a diverse camp. These kids will get along just fine. Mm-hmm. They have fun. There'll be different age groups, different sexes, different ethnicities there. But the bottom line is that we can all get along. We can all strive to be better. And, you know, we go, each one will teach one. My staff will teach, will educate, and we have no nonsense. There's a no-nonsense policy. No bullying. We're talking about anybody, embracing everybody's identity, that's very important. And so that's what we do. 
and you run and you have fun. Well, having fun is certainly important. Yes. And you had a quote about the camp that I just wanted to okay. highlight because I, I loved it so much. Okay. <laughs> where you said, it's not about making these students Olympians. It's about making them the champions of their, of their, their lives. lives. Right. That is way more important than being an Olympian. Absolutely. Yeah, so it's about being a champion of your life. So when I go across the country and I'm speaking to college students or if I'm speaking to the little kids in, in, in elementary, middle school, pre-K, what do you like to do? And we get to that. So how are you going to go about being that champion? You look at other people and say, okay, that's interesting, but your role to get there may be different. So with my podcast, we, you know, we end up by saying, um, it doesn't matter what road you travel, but what matters is what you become along that road. Mm-hmm. So whatever road we're traveling, what are you becoming along that road as you travel? Absolutely. So important. So just kind of closing out a little bit, okay. What besides the camp, yes. what else, now that COVID is sort of waning, what else are you looking forward to this year? Besides the camp, well, I normally shut down in July and I normally would travel. So this summer, after the camp is over with in early July, I don't know how much travel that I'm going to personally do to other countries, but I, I will do some USA traveling and enjoy the experience that way. I think it'd be good. I will get back into schools, doing my programs in schools, and I'll, I'm back on the circuit speaking at women's events and other corporate events as a motivational speaker. So that's what I will do. And I'm starting to get booked now. I, I booked six months out, so that's good to see. I'm getting booked in person. Mm-hmm. Still with some guidelines, but in person. And my brand, I go by one name. I go by just Joetta. So you have Prince, you have Oprah, you have Madonna, Magic, you have Joetta. And so that is consistent with the product line, the Joetta Beauty line, the Joetta Moves, <clears throat> Joetta mm-hmm. Beauty line, Joetta Gives. It's always just the one name. It's the brand. Right. And I think that that's who I am. I'm, I'm just Joetta, not Joetta Clark. Joetta Clark, they're just Joetta. And everything that I do is about being excellent. And that's what Joe is. And there have been times when things have been rough. Everything has not been easy. Mm-hmm. You know, making the Olympic team, starting a business, and being a businesswoman for over 25 years. As you know, most businesses don't make it past five. Right. So to be able to be in that world. But there's so much more for me to do. I'm excited about it. So when I talk about my projects and the things that I want to bring to the world, it's just about aligning myself with the right people to make it come to fruition. You're only as good as your team. It's a teamwork makes the dream work. But, you know, you need a nice team around you to say, yes, that's good. No, that's bad. Oh, let's work that through. Or mm-hmm. not yet. You need to have that, that group. So you're only as strong as your, as your team. you got to have a team around you that you believe in, that understands your vision, that's not going to clip your wings. Once you find that group or that person or those people, you ride them out. Mm-hmm. So it's like LeBron James, his team was his buddies. They weren't educated at the time. He sent them to school. They got the degrees, and now they're part of this billion-dollar industry. A uh, uh, billion-dollar uh, right. That's been in the news. Yeah. yeah. You know, so that's he knew those guys could do it, but they were just not polished enough. So he got the education. So same with my team. I have people that that I have to help along with, and people that haven't helped me. So it was about raising up each other and seeing the ability that they have and believing in them 
and helping them get to that level that can help you. Sometimes right now, you know, if you're looking for a publicist or if I'm looking for a branding person or whatever, you have to be able to, to one, know you need that mm-hmm. on your team. Right. And then two, find someone that can bring that to fruition with you. So. Yeah. And you're going to you're gonna stay in, in Saucon Valley like... You forever. Because like, <laughs> you could live know. anywhere. I mean... I don't know about forever. That last snowstorm <laughs> had me out there she- you know, shoveling and plowing and snow It's a bad winter. That was not... But, you know, it was, it was bad. But then I was also thankful for the businesses that now had worked, that hadn't had work in a while. The True. resorts, the, the people moving the snow. It was just... So although it, it, it was not good for me particularly, because I don't particularly want to go skiing and like the cold anymore, but for that market, it was really good. So that was really good to see well, you that. definitely can't run in that. <laughs> definitely can't run in that. Not trying to run in that. And, you know, I had enough of that. So will I be here forever? I don't know about forever, but I'm here for now. And, I, you know, I will just enjoy and make the most of what the community, what the Valley has. And we're close to New York, close to Philly. Yeah, that's and there's nothing wrong with that. It's, you have an airport, <laughs> so that's good, too. Right. Are you going to be watching the Olympics this summer? Yes, I will watch. I don't know if Talitha's going to make it. That's the plan that she does. I will not go over specifically because they're not going to have any spectators. No, there. yeah. And even at the Olympic trials right now, there's no spectators. And NCAAs. So if I do go to the Olympic trials, I'll just be there just be there because she's there and her first team I'm right. 18 you know I was 17 when I went to my first Olympic trials so just from that piece and then there may be some other friends there but it really if you want to see a run you're not going to see a run in person so you might as well just stay home and watch it on TV right but because Pops I, and popcorn. I don't mind being there with some of my Olympic buddies and that whole right it, it's a different it gives me a different thing to support her, and then when I'm not in the stadium, I can hang out with them. Again, if I could get into the stadium, it would be just pro to leave because I would be there every single day. But not being in the stadium, not possibly being around her because they still quarantine you. Right. They still don't want, the, don't want you around, even though I have my shots and everything. The team, the University of Florida coaching staff, it's kind of hard to, you're not going out to eat dinner with them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a little different. Plus, just. Going to Japan, it's a long flight. Well, going to Japan is a long flight, and you have to. If I'm going way out there, you got it's two weeks. Yeah. And but don't be surprised about if, if I say I'm out there, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just hanging hanging out in Japan in the hotel, not being able to go to the games. But I don't know about that one. We we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Right now, she has a qualifying walk for the Olympic trials in the 400. So that's what she'll do. Have you attended other Olympics since you competed? Or? No, because I was supposed to go in two, four and eight, but I had her in 2002. Oh, okay. So she was too young for me in 2004. And in 2008, I didn't, I didn't want it. I just kind right. of didn't want it. So I was like, no, I haven't been back since. But I watched it on TV and have a good time doing that. But Does it take you back emotionally, kind of? Sometimes it does. It, it, you know, to, to that point, it was sad because we had tickets for Talitha to go to the Olympic trial. That was a graduation present. Oh, wow. So I had lined up first class tickets and I had people and I had this and I, I pulled out all the stops for being Olympian. If it was something for Olympians that we can get tickets, I'm, I'm there. Mm-hmm. So I had 
really going over the top for a graduation present, then that didn't happen. So she still owed a graduation present somewhere. You know, that's going to still stay on the table. She's and not going to forget about that. No, I won't forget that either. <laughs> I, I will remember that one. Now, some other things I might forget, but that one I will remember <laughs> your graduation present, no matter how old we get, but things get back to to a point where I feel comfortable going somewhere where she wants to go now. Right. Class of 2020. Can't ever forget that one. Well, they were a resilient <laughs> class. They got through they a lot. They really of were. They did a lot in the, the graduation. They, they pulled it off. Uh, it was uh, a great ceremony. Yeah, it was really, really great. Principal and, 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 and Fry and the, mm-hmm. the mothers. Uh, it's a lot of work to do that. Yeah. They pulled it off and they did a fantastic job. Actually, I liked it a lot. That way, mm-hmm. with the big screen, I thought it was pretty cool to do it that way. I mean, it looked. It seemed like each student kind of got more attention mm-hmm. by doing it that way, yeah. which was nice. Yeah. I thought compared yeah, to like the nice. regular way. For a small school too, it worked. It worked out. Right. Some of the other districts are big, and you really. But they were they broke them down, you know, like from A to D or. Easy yeah, they did it like that. So I was in a class of like 500, so I was just a number. Yes, yeah, so was I. <laughs> yes, um, so. Yes. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and and I just want to remind listeners about how they can connect with you. Mm-hmm. Your website is dreadasportsandbeyond.com. Yes. yes, and of course you're on social media. I am. The Twitter is at new Joetta. There's N E W and then J O E T T A. And then they can, if they go to the website, there's a comment place or a spot where they can ask questions and mm-hmm. they can Lots do that. of ways to connect mm-hmm. with you. And Track camp information is up there. We are going to shut down early, I think. So if you do want your child to come to the camp and get the early bird rate, which is over, I think, June 1st. Mm-hmm. There are two different ways. Salkin gets a discount all the time. But if you're out of, out of Salkin, then there's a, there are two ways. There's an early bird rate and then the regular rate. Right. So. And then, of course, your app, you said it, Joe Time is coming out in Joe July. Joe Time Fitness comes out in July. That's the app, the fitness app. You can buy my body supplies, my body products on the website, too. Fantastic. And then if you want me to speak for you, <laughs> or if you want me to speak to your students or your colleges or your business, you can contact me as well to do motivational, inspiring, and empowerment speeches. Yes. Definitely reach out to Joetta for that because she is an inspiration. So thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thank both of you. No Rain Date is an original production of Salkin Source LLC. Our theme music is provided by This Way to the Egress. For more great music by them, be sure to follow This Way to the Egress on Spotify. Thank you for listening. face on every dollar